So last Sunday, as we started the season of Easter, we heard about the first Easter morning. We heard of the encounter that the women followers of Jesus had at the tomb. But the male disciples weren't there, and they weren't convinced. They were still afraid of death. They did not yet know the joy of new life. And so this morning, we'll hear their story. I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. And I'll be reading a a slightly different translation than what you have in the pews, but the story is the same. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Please be seated. It was still the first day of the week. This is still the same day that the women discovered the empty tomb, the same day that Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Christ in the garden, and then had come to tell the others that she had seen Jesus Even after receiving this message, even after Peter had confirmed that the tomb was in fact empty, even after Mary returns excited to share the news of her encounter with Jesus, the male disciples are in hiding. They were behind closed doors. They were still afraid of what was going to happen to them. Jesus had been arrested, tortured, and killed What are the authorities going to do to us? They had obviously seen the change in Mary. She was as close to Jesus as any of them. As a woman, it was okay that she was able to approach the tomb that morning because they weren't going to arrest her. She was overwhelmed in her grief when she had first come to seek the disciples out that morning, overwhelmed with grief that the body was gone. But then when she had come back later, she, she said Jesus was alive. 
that she had seen him, talked to him. She was overjoyed. But, but how can that be? And so they still did not know that joy that Mary had. They had not yet had their own encounter with the risen body. They probably figured that in her grief, Mary was just hallucinating. Her grief over the loss of Jesus, the additional stress of the body being removed from the tomb had probably just caused her to crack. That's the easiest explanation. And so they were hiding behind closed doors trying to figure out what happens next. Peace be with you. Jesus appears in the room with the disciples, and I'm trying to imagine the chaos of that moment. They're hiding in a closed room, afraid for their lives because Jesus had just been killed. They heard the story from Mary that obviously they haven't really believed yet. And then there Jesus is among them, standing in the room with them. I can't imagine what they were feeling at that moment. And so he greets them with a greeting that would have had multiple meanings for them. It is probably a familiar greeting to them, a way that Jesus often greeted them, peace be with you. But it also reflects that promise that he had given him that he would grant them his peace. And probably in this moment, it's something of a command as well. Be at peace. It is me that is standing here before you. As we consider what is going on here in this moment, as we hear this story today, it's interesting that Thomas is the one who gets a bad rap as doubting Thomas simply because he wasn't there that day. Because if you think about it, all of those male disciples are doubting at this point. They've already heard Mary's testimony, but that wasn't enough for them. And so Jesus appears to them and shows them his wounds to prove that he is in fact the same one that they saw executed a few days before and the same one who is in fact alive and standing there before them. He gives them the same evidence that Thomas has traditionally been belittled for expecting. He shows them the marks in his hands. He shows them the wound in his side. And yet their doubts really aren't the point of the message. Their doubts have a place. It tells us about their state of mind, but their doubts by themselves are not really the point. Instead, this is about Jesus' response to their doubts. As he did with Mary, Jesus makes himself known. Jesus is the one to step forward and to remove their doubts that they may have had about who he is. He also, in that moment, shows them that their betrayal, their abandonment, does not have the last word on their relationship with him. His presence with them is a renewal of their relationship, a relationship that was broken on the cross 
and a relationship that was renewed in the resurrection, a relationship that we too are called to participate in still today. Thanks be to God that human weakness and failure do not keep Christ from being present to us. Human weakness does not stop Christ's power and grace. Human weakness does not stop Christ's love and forgiveness. This is what is important here today. This is what is important about the story of Easter. In the midst of our doubts, our imperfections, even our denials, Jesus still shows up offering us a relationship. That is the joy of Easter, the joy of newness of life, the joy of that bodily encounter with the risen Jesus. But of course, as we mentioned, Thomas was not there that time. It's not really clear why this would be. As one of the twelve, why wasn't he gathered with the others? Whatever the case, just as Mary had told the rest of the disciples that she had seen the Lord, the other disciples now tell Thomas. So now he will have heard both Mary's testimony and the testimony of the other disciples. We have seen the Lord. But still, he refuses to believe. At least that's how we read the text. He wants his own physical encounter. He needs his own encounter with the body, and he won't believe without it. Although I do wonder if maybe he was just feeling a little left out. How come Jesus appeared to Mary and to the other disciples and hadn't come to see me? Whatever the case, a week later Jesus appears again and this time Thomas is there. And after offering the same greeting of peace, Jesus approaches Thomas and offers him his hands, offers him his side. The text doesn't tell us if Thomas actually reaches out to touch the wounds, to feel the marks in his hands, to put his hand in Jesus' side as he said he would, as Jesus had offered. The text simply says he responded, my Lord and my God. His response goes one step further than the response of the others. Mary had recognized Jesus as her friend and her teacher And that is how she responded to him, Rabboni. We don't even actually hear how the other disciples responded when Jesus showed up in their midst. I imagine they just kind of stood there simply staring at him as he showed up and began speaking to them as if nothing had actually changed. But Thomas expresses his immediate belief not only in who Jesus had been to them all of this time, but also in who he now recognizes Jesus is and was. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is how the Gospel of John opens with these words proclaiming Jesus as God. And so now as we approach the end, it seems fitting that Thomas would make this same claim. My Lord and my God. As I was reading through and thinking about this story this week, I was reminded of the Star Wars saga and Master Yoda. 
I couldn't help but think about Luke Skywalker's encounters with Yoda and all that he learned from him over the course of his experience. In the movie Return of the Jedi, Luke returns to Yoda after he had previously cut his training with Yoda short. Like the disciples with Jesus, Luke hadn't really had enough time to finish his training. And so he returns telling Yoda he's come back to complete what he had started. But instead, Yoda tells him that he is now the last Jedi and that he needs to pass on what he has learned. Yoda doesn't offer him any additional wisdom or knowledge. He just gives him the command to pass on those things he already knows, those things he has already experienced. In the same way, rather than offering additional knowledge to the disciples, Jesus simply calls on them to pass on all that they have already learned about him, their experience of him, what he has taught them. Like Mary before them, the disciples are called to spread that good news, not only of all that Jesus had taught them, but also that call to believe that Jesus is the one from God, that Jesus is God. Jesus sends them forth just as he had been sent by God to call the world back into loving relationship with God and with each other. And after their encounter with the risen body of Jesus, the disciples go on to do just that. They were empowered by that experience to go out and do great things. The Bible and other church traditions tell us how they spread that teaching of Jesus out the love he taught, their experience of God's love highlighted in their encounter with that risen Jesus, and they spread it out from there around the world. Looking solely at the ministry of the 12 apostles, those closest to Jesus, we find that they travel throughout the Mediterranean region and beyond starting churches in Africa, in Europe, and even into Southeast Asia. Now, most of them were eventually executed for this ministry that they had, this love of God that challenged those in power. But at least some of them lived into a ripe old age. If we look only at those who are most commonly attested to in Scripture, we find that James, one of the sons of Zebedee, remained in Jerusalem as a leader of that growing church. And he stayed there for about 10 years before he too was executed as a leader of the church. His brother John traveled into Turkey and settled in the region of Ephesus near the Aegean Sea, and he was hugely influential there, going on to teach those who would also be future bishops in the church. Peter traveled to Turkey and to Greece, and some say as far as Rome, where tradition holds in some places that he was the first bishop there in Rome, the first pope. Tradition tells us that other disciples traveled into Armenia, into Egypt, into Ethiopia, Libya, Western Europe, and Thomas. Thomas, who we like to look at as the doubter. Thomas, whose response is pretty central to today's text, is credited with traveling throughout Mesopotamia and into into India, where the Marthoma church tradition still bears his name today. Some traditions even have him continuing on into Indonesia, and there are reports of at least one oral tradition in South America of a 
tribe that encountered a St. Thomas who told them about Jesus. Hard to believe. Like Mary, before them, the rest of the disciples were commissioned to a ministry of spreading the teachings and good news of Jesus. They were called to live such transparent lives that Jesus would be visible through their actions. And as we hear these stories of what they accomplished, we can see the results of their encounter with the risen body of Jesus. Their experience of that body of Jesus, a living body, not a dead one, not the dead one that Mary expected to find when she showed up at the tomb. This living body led the church to expand beyond Jerusalem, throughout Africa, Europe, Asia, and eventually right here to Noonan, Georgia. It's amazing to consider what the bodily encounter with Christ can accomplish in our lives. In the midst of our doubts, our imperfections, Jesus still makes himself known to us today. We still have a chance to encounter the living body of Christ, a body that offers us peace, a body that calls us into loving relationship. So where do we encounter this body of the living Christ? Where have you met Jesus? When have you been aware of the bodily presence of Jesus in your own life? Was it here at the table? Was it out there in the garden of God's creation? Perhaps it was during a particularly meaningful worship service. Or perhaps you recognize the body of Christ whenever we are gathered here together as church. As Paul makes clear, we are the body of Christ still here in the world. This means for those that do not yet know Jesus, their encounter with us is their encounter with the body of Christ. Is our witness to the teaching and ministry of Jesus so transparent that Jesus is visible through our actions? Or to put it another way, what do our lives tell other people about Jesus? If we are the body of Christ here on earth, as Paul in our tradition teaches, how do others understand Jesus through their encounter with us? In the more recent Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker has in another encounter with Yoda. Yoda had died some 20 or 30 years earlier, and yet he appears again to Luke in a moment of crisis. On the one hand, we are led to believe that this is perhaps some sort of ghostly presence. Yoda is kind of glowing as he sits there talking with Jesus. And yet, sorry, Luke, not Jesus. I did that this morning. I did that at the earlier service too, so there we go. So Yoda also interacts with Jesus. See, I'm going to do it again. Yoda interacts with Luke in the real world. He pokes him with his walking stick. He whacks him on the head. This is not simply some apparition. And during their conversation, Yoda points back to what he had taught Luke all those years ago. 
He seeks to reorient Luke's assumptions about what he thought he knew, which ultimately leads Luke out into a new form of service. This is precisely what it is that Jesus is doing in his appearance with the disciples. He is reorienting their assumptions about all that has happened, about all that he has taught them. What they were looking for and expecting in the Messiah was not quite what it was that Jesus had come for. Their understanding of the death on the cross is reoriented by the risen Jesus appearing among them. The point of the resurrection is that ongoing relationship with God, the love being offered in the midst of failure and denial and imperfection. God's love proved in the resurrection. And then Jesus points them in a new direction of service. Death is not the end of God's love for us. Even though we nailed God to a cross to die, God still returns to us in love. Even though Jesus chose to lay aside his power rather than to use it to solve the problem, Jesus returns to prove that God's love has no limits. And then he calls on us to share that same love out with the rest of the world, to serve as living proof of God's love for all of us. When we encounter the body of Jesus, whether it be at the table, in this community gathered, in the compassionate actions of those around us, or in the needs of a world that is still broken, still showing those signs, those wounds of Christ. We are transformed and given a new calling, a calling to go forth and to be the body of Christ for others. Jesus comes to us still. Jesus offers us peace. Jesus calls us to receive God's love. And then he sends us out to share that love with others. May we recognize the body of Christ when we encounter it. And may we remember our role as the body when we go forth.